and welcome to Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy B. Ment, your host, welcoming you to episode 170 of this podcast. Thank you for joining me today, and here is what we have in store. It's a jam-packed episode, as you're about to find out. We're going to start out like we always do, checking out the news, seeing what is new in the world of Doctor Who comics, uh, Doctor Who artwork, and uh, a bit of games thrown in this time around. So we'll find out what is new there. And then we're going to do a review like we normally do. This time around, we are going to go to issue number 596, the most recent issue of Doctor Who magazine, to take a look at the penultimate part of Liberation of the Daleks. This is part 13. And then, now that uh, we're right on the cusp of Once Upon a Time Lord being released at the end of the month, I had a wonderful chat with artist Christopher Jones, who is one of the three artists of this wonderful hardcover graphic novel. And you'll get to find out from him what it was like to work on this uh, this special from Titan Comics, as well as working with Dan Slott, uh, what Chris has been up to. Uh, I've chatted with him a while back, so you can find out what is new with him. And then I'm also going to represent an interview I did approximately a year ago with the one of the other artists on this book, Matthew Dow Smith. Uh, Matthew, when this book was first announced as a just a special, a Doctor Who special uh, from Titan Comics, he joined me to chat about working on this book. And uh, back when he was kind of still, it was still fresh for him. Uh, and I figured instead of uh, chatting with him again and kind of rehashing the same stuff, I would just represent this interview from back in episode 144 with Matthew Dow Smith, so you can find out uh, from his perspective what it was like to work upon Once Upon a Time Lord. There you go. That's what we're going to have on this episode of Panel to Panel. Thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, I know the anniversary of Doctor Who, the 60th anniversary, is right around the corner. We're about to have new Doctor Who. We're about to see uh, the Star Beast on the, on the small screen, and um, I can't wait. I know everybody else is excited about that. So we have lots of new comic and comic-related material. So please do me a favor. If people are you know are Doctor Who fans who are looking forward to the Star Beast, make sure you point out that you can read the Star Beast uh, either ahead of time or after the episode uh, comes out or airs or is on Disney Plus or however you're going to watch it. And have them read the Star Beast and uh, maybe check out an episode of the Panel to Panel. I would truly appreciate it. Uh, the more listeners that I have... The, the better it looks uh, on iTunes, um, and the more more fun we have as more people get into Doctor Who comics and Doctor Who in general. So, with this intro out of the way, let's go into this uh, the, the heart of the episode, and let's start out by checking out the news. In Doctor Who comic news, or uh, comic-related news for this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, Let's start out like we always do by taking a look at the calendar for October and November and see what has come out or what is going to be coming out. Let's start out with Wednesday, October 11th. That is when Doctor Who magazine issue number 592 was released here in comic shops. I don't know how many people are still collecting Doctor Who magazine or buying the physical copies over here in the U.S., but if you're getting them from your local comic shop, issue number 592 came out. I have discovered these people that uh, shop at comic shops don't go to Barnes & Noble, but Barnes & Noble is actually only about a month behind on Doctor Who magazine. Well, we get ours here about a month after they're released in the UK, so if you are buying physical copies here in the States, uh, tip, just go to Barnes & Noble and get them. You'll get them a lot quicker. 
Speaking of which, uh, Thursday, October 12th, that is when over in the UK and on the newsstands over there, as well as digitally, Dr. Who Magazine issue number 596 came out. This is a great issue because it has Beep the Meep on the cover, and uh, it's really leading up to the, the specials that are coming out next month for the anniversary of Doctor Who, including the Star Beast. So it's a wonderful issue. Make sure you get this. On Friday the 13th, uh, it's kind of a uh, special day. It's Friday the 13th, of course, but also uh, Wizards of the Coast did their official release for the Doctor Who Magic the Gathering cards. For those people who are unfamiliar with Magic the Gathering, it is a collectible card game where basically you and your opponent are portraying a couple wizards who are summoning creatures and casting spells to try to defeat your opponent and get them to drop their life total from 20 down to zero. First person down to zero loses, the other person wins. Um, Magic has been around for quite some time. It's celebrating the anniversary as well, if I remember correctly. But they have come out with special sets based on different properties. They've done um, Warhammer. They've done Lord of the Rings. Now they've done done Doctor Who. Uh, the nice thing about these cards, even if you're not a fan of the card game, the artwork on the cards is just amazing. It's wonderful to look at. If you do a search for Doctor Who Magic the Gathering online, not only can you find where you can purchase uh, packs of cards or the commander decks, uh, but you can also see a lot of the artwork, and you can kind of judge for yourself. There's a lot of really uh, amazing artwork based on different episodes of Doctor Who, different items, creatures, Doctors, Daleks, Cybermen. I'm thinking about picking up some myself just for the sake of having some um, and having uh, to, this, to look at this amazing artwork. So you might want to check that out. Going a little bit further ahead in our calendar, October 31st, which is a Tuesday, so pretty much November 1st, um, that is when the hardcover uh, edition of Once Upon a Time Lord, the new special from Titan Comics, is coming out, featuring writing by uh, Marvel Comics writer Dan Slott, with art by Christopher Jones, Matthew Dow Smith, and Mike Collins. Uh, you've heard me harp on and on about this for a year now, or a year plus, so make sure you pick up a copy of this. Trust me, it's worth the wait. It's worth the read. It's worth your investment. We're going to jump ahead to November now um, just for a couple things because November is going to be a really special month. It's the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. Uh, quick uh, hits here. On Thursday, November 9th, that is when Doctor Who magazine issue number 597 will be coming out over in the UK as well as digitally. And that is um, where I'm expecting to have a lot of coverage of the Star Beast and the other specials. So, And we also get the final part of Liberation of the Daleks. So another good issue to make sure you get. And then on the anniversary date of Thursday, the 23rd of November, that is when the uh, hardcover of Rose, which is a basically a coffee table book uh, with the novelization of Rose from Russell T. Davies with artwork, by Robert Hack will be coming out. Now, this is the second volume uh, from the, the these hardcover Target novelizations. The first one was uh, the Doctor Who and the, the Daleks book. And um, this I, I can't go on enough about how wonderful this book is. If you have a coffee table and you need something to put on there, these books are perfect for it. Especially if you have somebody who's a fan of Doctor Who, the the modern version or the new Doctor Who, um, who watched Rose, having them look through this book, I guarantee you the artwork is amazing. Um, you want to make sure you pick this up. 
So there's just a couple things from November that are coming out. I'm sure there's going to be other things that we're going to want to be on the lookout for. But uh, that's the, the calendar for uh, this episode. Not too much else in way of Doctor Who comic news. Uh, Titan Comics has been rather quiet. We have the final part of Liberation of the Daleks to look forward to uh, in uh, November. But that is it for the news. So let's go into a review. All right, it's time to open the Pandorica on the latest new Doctor Who comic. This time around, we're going to Doctor Who magazine issue number 596 to look at part 13, the penultimate part of Liberation of the Daleks. This, of course, is a story that is written by Alan Barnes, with art by Lee Sullivan, colors by James Afredi, lettering by Roger Langridge, editing by Marcus Hearn, and the Daleks, of course, created by Terry Nation. This part starts out with the uh, Daleks on Scarrow, finding out that their reality gate uh, is a success and that they're able to use it to go through and end up on uh, Earth. So the Golden uh, Dalek Emperor is plotting their their invasion. Meanwhile, the Doctor is talking to the Emperor Dalek and explaining to him that uh, that his Daleks, his Scarrow, his universe, in fact, is going to be drained of energy. Um, and is explained to them that the Daleks are using sucking the energy from Spiridon and then from Scarrow to make it so that they're able to go through the reality gate and invade Earth. So the Emperor Dalek, of course, is concerned about this and wants the Doctor to explain to him uh, what they can do to stop them. And that is when the Doctor comes up with his plan. Meanwhile, the Gold Emperor or the Golden Dalek is sending their uh, flotilla of saucers through the reality gate to Earth, where the Dalek uh, fleet is starting to invade. But meanwhile, the Doctor is trying to get the Daleks from Scarrow uh, ready to try to stop this invasion and to save the Earth. Um, Claire and uh, the other ape whose name uh, escapes me at the moment... uh, helps kind of stall things or helps make it so that the uh, Georgette can uh, get the other Daleks, the assorted Daleks, um, which on the second to last page look really neat. Uh, We get a nice uh, assortment of Daleks communicating with the Doctor as the Doctor starts this plan to use them to save the Earth. And that is where we're going to have this big final uh, battle between lots and lots of Daleks. I'm sure Lee Sullivan's going to have a fun time drawing that final part. But looking back on this part, once again, it's another six pages towards the, the end of Liberation of the Daleks. We're ramping up to this big uh, ending. And once again, I'm I'm saying Alan Barnes is telling a really good story. My problem is that we're getting it in small, bite-sized pieces of only six pages. And uh, I, I think once the collected edition... The, the graphic novel or the book that comes out of Liberation of the Daleks. If you sit down and read it all in one big story, it's going to be a, a wonderful story. But as far as piece by piece, to me, it feels like I, I lose a little bit every time I read it. Or I get another part added on. I, I seem to have to go back and backtrack and read the previous issue or two to kind of lead up to it. Lee Sullivan's artwork 
as good as it always is. Uh, you know, it's always a treat to see him draw Daleks. In fact, there was a couple of Daleks that he drew in here that reminded me of 1960s Daleks um, from way back in the day with the, just that style, that look of uh, classic illustrated comic strip Daleks. But uh, his artwork is is great. And and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish the story. I think the story's been a lot of fun. Um, having Daleks in a Doctor Who comic strip is always a good thing. But I just feel like this story, once it's all said and done, going back through and reading this all in one fell swoop, is going to be a, a lot better and make the story make more sense, at least to me, than it has been reading Bite Size Issues. So, I give it one and a half thumbs up. Uh, I can't wait to see how this ends, and uh, I think everybody like me is curious to see what's going to be coming next in Doctor Who Magazine in a couple issues' time. So there you go. There's my review of Part 13 of Liberation of the Daleks. Exterminate! Christopher Jones, it is a pleasure to have you back on Dr. Who Panel to Panel. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me back. Oh, of course. You know, you uh, have this big project that is coming up. Uh, that's coming out in about a month's time as we record this. Uh, it's wow. called Once Upon a Time Lord. It is the, uh, I'm, I've kind of lost as to what to call it. It's a special slash annual slash hardcover graphic novel, but you are one of the contributing artists and, uh, I definitely wanted to chat with you about uh, this project. Um, first of all, how did you get, I, I know you're no stranger to Titan Comics or to Doctor Who Comics. How did you get involved doing this project? Um, well, I had the good fortune of, so having previously done some uh, uh, Doctor Who comics for Titan, both covers and the two miniseries I had done with the third and seventh Doctors, respectively. Uh-huh. Um, I I had been a fan of Dan Slots for a long time, and had wanted to to chat with him. And I I think I was at New York Comic Con one year. I'm 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 in Artist Alley. I'm leaving the show floor. It's it's after hours, so people are beginning to thin out. And I see Dan sitting at a table just looking at stuff on his phone. I think he was also just kind of waiting for people to clear out before trying to exit the building. Uh-huh. And I went up to him and I, I said, uh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Slot, I, I am a, a fan of your work. I don't, I don't know if you would know who I am. My name is Christopher Jones. And he says, Oh, of course you've drawn doctor who I know who you are. <laughs> and immediately bonded over our mutual love of doctor who. Uh-huh. And we had it online a few times and had met in person a couple times, uh, went out to dinner on at least one occasion. And, uh, and he had, he was, he would tell me stories of his, his ambitions to write for Dr. Who and some ideas he had for stories. And, uh, and, and we, we often would kind of talk about it in the context of, Oh, it would be fun to work on that together. Sure. And the thing that was stopping him for the longest time, of course, is that he has this full slate of writing for Marvel. Uh, he, he occasionally will change title, but he always seems to be busy at Marvel. And yeah. he's under an exclusive with them. And so for the longest time, uh, he it, it was not possible for him to just go write a Doctor Who story for, for a different publisher. Mm-hmm. And finally, he... Uh, on his most recent 
contract renegotiation managed to get them to uh, put an exception in there where he could go write a Doctor Who story, or I guess a series of specials over over a span of time, but basically a Doctor Who exemption. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and so he asked for me, uh, and and thanks thanks to the fact that I had this history with Titan, I don't think that was a hard sell. Yeah. Um, originally, um, I was going to draw the whole story, and then scheduling made that not uh, a possibility. Okay. Um, I, I used to I used to draw comics full time, and these days it's more of a a sideline and my day job is doing um, storyboards at Warner Brothers Animation. Sure. Uh, which is all great and wonderful, but it makes it a little harder to schedule significant chunks of time uh, to do comics. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I wanted to stay involved. Dan and Titan both wanted to keep me involved. And thankfully, uh, the story he had written was structured in such a way that uh, there there was sort of a framing device and then these vignettes in the story of, of things, of uh, adventures that Martha is telling about that the Doctor had on his own. Yeah. Uh, heard of and, and, and is telling, us, telling stories of. And so it worked very neatly to be able to have me draw the framing device and then uh, Matthew Dow Smith, who has drawn his share of Doctor Who as well, mm-hmm. uh, drew those those uh, stories that Martha tells. Uh, and then we have a a ninth Doctor story in the book, but that's drawn by Mike Collins as well. But and it's all written by Dan, and it's all marvelous. And uh, we're really anxious for the fans to finally get a chance to read it all. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of uh, interesting how it kind of worked out that. With the the fourteenth Doctor coming back to or, or coming onto TV with a, a new series of Doctor Who, that it, it definitely made sense to kind of push this tenth Doctor and Martha story back a year to have it closer to the release of the anniversary of Doctor Who and the fourteenth Doctor showing up since David Tennant yeah, is portraying not, both. I'm, yeah, I'm not privy to all the the conversations that were had around choosing to to push it back, but I think at least a big part of it. Was once they knew that that David Tennant was coming back for the 60th anniversary, and there was obviously going to be a lot of uh, media buzz around that. They thought, you know, yeah. it, would, it would probably be better for the success of the book to hold it back and have it come out in the context of the build up to the 60th, mm-hmm. rather than a random 10th Doctor story that comes out a year before that. Sure. Um, so, so Dan was the one who kind of picked you to, to do the artwork. The, when you received the script for this, for the story, was it something that you were already kind of familiar with, with it? Was it one of the ideas that Dan had kind of told you beforehand? This is the kind of story that I like to do. Uh, I think I'd heard the premise. Um, obviously it was a lot more worked out in the, the, the script form that I had. And sure. as we were trying to fit it into my schedule so I could draw as much of it as possible. Uh, I don't, I, if I recall correctly, I don't think the script was even entirely finished when it got into my hands, but the bits I was going to draw were finished. Okay. So I kind of like knew roughly what was going on in between my bits, 
but uh, you know, I had I had the script for my parts, and uh, you know, a, a lot of great uh, Doctor Who stories have been told in comics, but boy, you can really tell that this is a master storyteller who is a big Doctor Who fan who has just been busting at the seams to tell <laughs> Who stories for a very long time because this whole thing is is not only just a really original fun different story but it's just a love letter to all things doctor who it's it's just got such a a set oh you can see from the cover i did the number of uh past monsters that make at least cameos if not a a larger appearance in the story yeah because every everything i put on that cover is going to appear somewhere in that book yeah it's an amazing cover oh thank you very much well, you know, uh, the, the first cover we had when they were originally coming out with this uh, last year was a wonderful cover that uh, I, I think Dan worked some magic to get a Doctor Who cover out of Adam <laughs> Hughes. Uh-huh. And it, it's marvelous. Um, but I have to confess that it, while I wasn't going to complain about having a beautiful Adam Hughes cover on a comic I drew, it's always a little bit of a pet peeve for me when I draw a story and don't get to do the cover just because it's always annoying for me to be at conventions and have a book sitting on my table and tell somebody, Oh yeah, I did this. All right. Well, not, not the cover that you're looking at <laughs> as I say this, uh-huh. but if you open it up, that's my stuff inside, you know, it's just, sure. I'd rather be able to just say, here, I drew this. Um, but, uh, but like I said, I wasn't going to complain about the Adam Hughes cover, but then when they, they, decided to push the book back and resolicit it for this season. Um, I think they decided that they needed a fresh piece of art to, to generate some buzz again. So that uh-huh. it wasn't people going, didn't, didn't we see a solicitation for this last year? Um, <laughs> so we to do a new cover for it. So now we, you know, basically we have two variants. We've got my cover and the Adam Hughes cover. Yep. which is brand company to be in, let me tell you. But oh, uh, I really was happy to get to do the, the cover I, I did. And, and uh, just getting to draw all those classic monsters was a real treat. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, one of the things uh, we I've, I've chatted with Dan about the book. And, oh, he yeah. was tell- and he was telling me about how, like you said, this is kind of his love letter to Doctor Who. And he put it, everything and the kitchen sink into this story because... Yeah. He was afraid this is going to be his one shot at telling the Doctor Who story that he wants to tell. Yes, I've heard. I have heard him say something very similar. Uh huh. And uh, one of the things that he he talked about when I when I had him on the podcast and that he raved about was uh, something that I think has kind of snuck out on the internet, but definitely people are going to see when they they pick up the story is that big two page spread that you did at the beginning of the the uh, story. That yeah. it, that it kind of in you know shows off an awful lot of the for to keep it vague the history of Doctor Who, um, and how how much of a treat was it to to do that big two page spread? Oh, um, it was great. I mean, it was it was a disproportionate amount of work. <laughs> it normally takes to draw two pages, um, but it gave me an opportunity to draw all the previous 
doctors, I, let's, you know, we're, we're living in a time now where we have to make all these caveats about the war doctor and Joe Grant's doctor. All of the regular television series running doctors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> from Hartnell to, to, to David Tennant, plus, you know, companions for them, plus uh, console rooms. And of course, I tried my darndest to be accurate with all the detail you see in those console rooms. Mm-hmm. Because I know Doctor Who fans, if I get it wrong, I'll hear about it. Oh, definitely. Um, I would be surprised um, if you got it wrong if you didn't hear about it from Dan. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it just it was it was such fun to do, and uh, it, it really um, it's it's a really uh, a t- it's a showstopper of a moment to 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 kind of kick things off and and make make it feel like you're you're reading a story that's something a little special. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a it, it's a, a wonderful way to kick off the story. Um, yeah. And you know, as far as the the story itself goes, I I thought the story was very well told, um, writing wise, in that it feels almost kind of like a fairy tale, which is appropriate for the title of of the story. Um, but the the main, I guess, the main monster of the book is the pyromaths. And uh, how much of a hand did you have in creating those those monsters? Um, well, quite a bit. I mean, you know, Dan had a description of them in the script, but it was very vague. He he just kind of wanted them to be sort of dark creatures of of smoke and, and evocative of 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 telling stories around a fire and okay. and. Uh, and we we wanted them to be scary and monstrous, so you know it just became these kind of glowing eyes and teeth and a skeletal form inside of this cloud of black smoke. And by the time you know we got to the the finished look, and I'm drawing them into the story, I'm 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 thinking, man, I I wish they were going to be using these in the show because I want to see these in live action. Uh huh. Yeah, so, I, yeah I could... those, those were a ton of fun to design. Okay. Yeah, um the like talking the craft of drawing comics, um the the seeing your artwork in a comic book, I always think of nice, clean, crisp lines. And the design of these monsters is definitely not the the kind of style of art I'm used to seeing from you. I was gonna ask craft wise, like as far as drawing them. How did you do, how was the illustration done for them? Um, well, I'm drawing digitally these days. Um, okay. So you can just play a, around with it? Yeah, that well, that's a transition I made partly for speed and partly uh, because I, I hit a phase in my comic art career where I was needing to deliver artwork. I mean, I, it was all being delivered digitally to the publisher anyway. You know, back uh-huh. when I was still physically drawing on paper, yeah. the final step would be to scan the art, clean it up, and then send the digital file in. And then the, the physical art never left my studio. Uh-huh. Um, and, but it was getting to the point where they were increasingly asking for things like elements on separate layers or okay. things that I was having to do more and more of the work digitally anyway and so i eventually got to the point of just you know why don't i save myself a lot of time 
and eye strain and just do this all 100% digital. Sure. Because especially when I was drawing the, the Young Justice title for DC Comics, um, I was doing stuff that had so much fine detail mm-hmm. that it was so easier to be able to blow a small area up to the size of my screen and work on it at that larger scale than yeah. trying to keep characters looking on model when their face is the size of a postage stamp. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or the, I mean, the big thing on that book was there were these holographic displays used everywhere and you'd want those to be slightly transparent. So the way you do that is you create, the the display, whether it be a, a line drawing that I would do, you know, by hand, or whether it would be a computer graphic I would create in, in Illustrator or something, uh-huh. but that would then be a separate layer that I would deliver with notes about, you know, what level of transparency and and whatnot, so that when it goes to the coloring, it would get incorporated into the finished artwork. Sure. Um, so, so like I said, you know, all of that kind of led me to working digitally. So with these pyramids, I basically just started using, uh, various brush tools and things that gave me some, some texture. You know, if I was mm-hmm. still working, it would be a matter of doing, you know, dry brush effects. Yeah. You know, everything digital is, is there's an analog version of it. You know, you're, you're just, you're just using digital tools to replicate a look that you otherwise would be doing on paper. The nice thing about working digitally is if you do something wrong, you can back up and take another swing at it as opposed to, yeah. well, I have to white all that out and <laughs> all over the top of it. Um, I'm sure it makes it a lot easier too when you're uh, trying to do something, like you said, using like a dry brush technique or something uh, a bit more creative as opposed to just pencil or straight pencils and inks that uh, you, ha- you have a lot more tools to work with and, and uh, you have a lot more liberty to experiment and try things and not, you know, waste so much time and effort. You can, like you said, you can come try something. If it doesn't work, you can just wipe it out and start fresh again. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's great for being able to experiment quickly. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think I always naturally had a fairly you know you described my style as being you know fairly clean and and sharp lines, mm-hmm. and and the fact that I've spent so much of my career working on um, things based on animation properties definitely pushed me further in that direction. Yeah. And then I come to work on something like Doctor Who, where I'm drawing in a much more um, photorealistic style and and basing what I'm doing a lot more on photo reference and 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 things to try to really be true as I can to the likenesses of the actors and the look of the show. Mm-hmm. But certainly some of the style, uh, you know, that has developed carries over. Um, and it's, it's fun, you know, with something like the pyramids where you really want them to be these kind of, you want them to be a very jarring presence on the page. You know, they're, they're supposed to be something that isn't just a, oh, that's a strange looking creature. It's more about, you know, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, definitely. So, so definitely, you know, you pull out all the stops to like, you know, whether it's drawing style or, or their basic design or. Or just you know how you're you're treating them in compositions to um, to try to 
to get them to pop and, and yeah. to get them to be as jarring and impactful as you can. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, speaking of, of uh, the the craft of drawing comics and, and artwork, um, like those people who know you and uh, like you said, you've been working primarily doing storyboarding for Warner Brothers Animation, and that is kind of your your full time job. Um, yeah. How much? How tough is it to switch over your art style from being used to drawing like an animation style, like a Young Justice, to doing something like Doctor Who? Is it? Do you find yourself having to kind of refresh the 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 skills that that you use to draw more in? for lack of a better term, a comic book style as opposed to an animation style um, before you start working on something like the the Once Upon a Time Lord? I'm used to jumping around between different drawing styles because even when I was drawing comic books almost all the time, um, I, I would go back and forth between something based on an animation property like Young Justice or another series I did, The Batman Strikes or or, or Justice League Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things are, you know, first of all, even, even just between animation projects, those are all drawn in different styles. Yeah. But then I would go to work on Dr. Who or Batman 66, or, you know, I did a, a Star Trek story with Paul Cornell uh-huh. that are all, you know, these, these things based on a live action film or television property. And so that's, that's, you know, drastically yeah. far removed in terms of style. Um, the biggest thing going back and forth between animation and comics is just, you know, in animation, uh, you are thinking about timing and you are composing for a, the, a, the shape of a frame where the, the shape doesn't change, but things can move in and out of it. You know, you're, you're yeah. planning for, for 4D, um, which is a very mi- different mindset to be in than... Uh, when you're worried about breaking up the geometry of the page into different panels of different shapes and sizes and mm-hmm. having to plan things like, oh, there's three characters speaking in this panel, so the character that speaks first should be on the left and the person that speaks last should be on the right so that their dialogue balloons can read from left to right without it becoming too much of a nightmare for the lettering and all these all these things that you think about with the layout of, of a comic book page that aren't necessarily what the reader thinks about. You know, yeah. in my experience, the reader just kind of sees the drawing style and whether they think it looks cool or not. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you know, when I'm designing a comic book page, at least, at least half of the of the thought process and creative energy I put into it is all these underlying structural things that aren't what your average reader is ever going to consciously be aware of. And I think that's true for everybody that works in comics. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can understand where you're coming from on that. And like you're talking about the difference in between doing like storyboarding where you have a a static size frame and you're changing what is coming and going in and out of that frame, as opposed to a comic book where you are more of like a, uh, a cameraman who's zooming in on things and pulling away from things and changing your perspective around. Um, I, there's, it's definitely two different kind of skill sets and two different ways of thinking about how to, to accomplish things. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of storyboarding for animation is thinking about timing. Uh, you know, when is the edit going to happen? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how, how 
fast should this character complete this action? If someone says something and another character is reacting to it, how how many frames later do you want to see the reaction on their face or in their 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 uh, body posture or whatever it is? Uh-huh. Um, it's a very different set of things to be thinking about as opposed to comics where you're often distilling several seconds worth of action into a single static image yeah. that you know, could not be a photograph of a given moment. You know, I was uh, forget if it was understanding comics or where I first came across the, the, the example of it, but um, you know, there's the idea of you know, a character walks into a room, uh, walks into an office, says hello to the secretary or receptionist who's sitting there and closes the door behind them. And they're the, Receptionist says something to them, and the person who just walked in the door uh, uh, responds to them and says, "Is the boss in?" And the receptionist says, "I'll check," and is pushing the button on the intercom. You can do that in one panel, mm-hmm. but it's this panel that is an image in time that never really existed because you're going to have the person who walked into the room. You know, with the door partially open, but maybe it looks like they're closing it. The the receptionist is looking at them, but leaning over to touch the the button on the the intercom. Uh-huh. And you you've got at least you know four lines of dialogue in that panel. Like, well, that that moment might never you know. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's several beats of action and it's several seconds of time compressed into an image, and it's just a very different mindset than than uh, working in a medium where like, you know, you're, you're moment by moment having to lay all that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely different. All right. Um, different parts of the brain creatively. Yeah. Well, I guess that's kind of a good thing though, because it kind of keeps you thinking on your toes as you're going from kind of one project to another. Oh, absolutely. So um, talking with Dan uh, b- before about this book, um, yeah, like, like we've said, we it was supposed to come out a, a year or so ago, and uh, he said that he ever since then he's been kind of going through the story and kind of changing things here and there, changing bits of dialogue or changing a, you know an and to a the. Um, <laughs> since it's been so long since you worked on the story, have there been moments where you've thought about the story and said, "Oh, I wish I would have done." change this panel just slightly or put this in or focus more on uh, this, this moment as opposed to this other moment. I think it's a very rare thing for anyone who does anything creative to look back on something they did and think it was a thing of perfection. I think Mm -hmm. you always back and are like, Oh, you know, I got about 90% of that, but I wish I wish this had been a little better or you, you look back and like, Oh, the, the likeness was not quite what I wanted there. Or, yeah. Oh, if I knew the colorist was going to do that, I would have drawn it this way. And then that would have worked better. Or, you know, it just, sure. you always, always <laughs> you look, <laughs> wish you could go in and tweak things. And I guess, you know, Dan has for better or worse had the opportunity where he actually could go in and make some of those changes. Yeah. Because of the long wait time and the fact that it's just, you know, he, he wasn't asking anyone to redraw anything. He's just, you know, fiddling with the text. And I guess, you know, they had to maybe re-letter some of it. But uh-huh. I guess that's a relatively minor investment. 
Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. That's something that's but, uh, kind of a quick, easy fix. But then it comes out, and you know, unless you're unless you're Neil Adams doing reprints, uh, <laughs> once it, it, it kind of is what it is, and you don't go back and and uh, keep making changes to it. Um, I know it's been a while since you probably thought about this story, but, but thinking back on the story and, and your role in it, telling kind of the, the bookends and some little, uh, vignettes kind of in between the, the stories that take place are, is there any particular moment that, that when you got done drawing it, you're kind of like, this is the, exactly what I, or, you know, as close to perfection, capturing what I wanted to do in this particular part of the story. Um. Oh boy, you know. Well, I look back on it with such a combination of thoughts. I mean, there's there's parts <laughs> that, that it frustrates me that I didn't get to draw. You know, some of the some of the parts that that uh, Matthew Dow Smith got to draw, I would have loved doing. Uh-huh. Although, you know, getting as it turned out to do that cover where I got to draw a bunch of those classic monsters kind of helped ease. Yeah, Use that paint yeah, a little bit. <laughs> oh, cool! I got to draw the mummies from Pyramids of Mars, but I didn't have to draw them for page after page. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I, I got it out of my system and moved on. <laughs> um, uh, but what? You, well, I mean, that opening, that opening double page spread with with all the doctors and all the TARDIS interiors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty proud of, and I think is going to be a fan favorite. Um, oh, I, I think a, I can guarantee couple, that one. Yeah, there's a there's a well, thank you. There's a couple moments with uh, um, Martha that just some some dramatic standoff moments that like, oh, that came out really well. I like that. Um, mm-hmm. Great, great getting to draw David Tennant's doctor the the problem with loving these characters so much is it it, you hold yourself to a higher standard of there is an exact look on their face that i want to capture and i know it because i've seen it Uh uh-huh and so you're like oh i got 98 percent there but i didn't quite get 100 (laughs) of it um so yeah, I don't know. There, I, I it was a real delight to work on this. There's there's parts of it I'm very fond of, but yeah, I mean there's no there's there's no piece of it that I look on as like ah oh, that's a that's a little little tiny diamond of perfection there. It's like no, there's there's gotcha. always something we can go back and sure make a little better. Well, we 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 keep talking about that big two page spread that everybody's going to love and drool over and. Um, you, you, you've done a third doctor story and you've done a seventh doctor story. Now you've done a 10th doctor and Martha story, or at least, you know, part of it, um, drawing the, the previous doctors, did that happen to kind of whet your appetite and be like, Oh, I wish I could do a story with this particular doctor, especially being, you know, a a longtime doctor who fan that you are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, 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 Given the opportunity, and if time wasn't a, a factor, uh, I'd love to do a story with every doctor. Um, uh-huh. I got to, I got to uh, without getting too much into spoiler territory, I got to draw a little bit of Patrick Troughton in my third doctor miniseries, but I'd love to uh-huh. do a proper second doctor story. Yeah, that would be uh, awesome. Uh, I, I, you know, my my formative Doctor Who watching years were um were tom baker mm-hmm. so 
it'd be great to do something during his era. Um, uh, I, I love modern Doctor Who. I'd love to do a story with Peter Capaldi, um, especially. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, any any of it would be great. Um, I, I the the thing that was fun for me, especially with the two miniseries that I've done, um, you know, Paul Cornell's script for the the five issue uh, third Doctor series that we did, uh-huh. nicely structured in a way that um, the first issue really feels like it could have been a lost episode of the TV show. Yeah, um, yeah, I totally the doctor, agree. The doctor goes out to where something weird is happening in a little small village in the English countryside, and Unit has set up a temporary headquarters there, and a very small group of aliens appears, and the doctor deals with it, and it returns to Unit headquarters. It's like, oh, it's just, it's compact. It feels like something they could have gone and filmed. It's great. And by mm-hmm. the time you get to issue five, it has gone to crazy town. You're like, never in a <laughs> could they have done something like this on the TV show. Um, and similarly, when I did my seventh Doctor miniseries, my, my big feeling with the seventh Doctor is I, I like a lot of the ideas that they were doing during that era. I love uh-huh. the combination of Celeste McCoy's seventh Doctor and Sophie Aldred as Ace. But I really feel like during that era, you were feeling the crunch of the limited budget. And so my aim with that story was to make everything feel as big and epic as I could to to give the story a sense of scale that they they never really could achieve during that era of the show. Sure. And, and so I think I think that's the great thing with comics is being able to take takes you know th- these these eras of the TV show and do something that hopefully feels true to the spirit of them but maybe delivers it in a style or 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 maybe has elements in the story that you just couldn't have done in a TV mm-hmm. production of that era yeah i i see i agree with you although i remember when i first talked to Dan Slot we got into almost a debate about this fact because he feels like if you're telling a third doctor and, and unit story, for example, in a comic book form, you should make the story feel in such a way like you're watching a, a proper third doctor television episode with the smaller scale and stuff. I, I, the example I gave to him is, you know, I'm a big fan of the, of the sixth doctor comic story Voyager, which has so huge, grandiose, universe-encompassing uh, scenes and stories and stuff that there's no way you could tell this in a uh, a TV series, especially in Doctor Who in the 80s. But to me, it, it is an amazing... It showcases why doing a Doctor Who story in comics is special uh, in, in a different sort of way compared to seeing Doctor Who on, on TV. Whereas Dan is kind of the exact opposite of that. I would love to see you and him come up with a story that kind of fits the bill on both parts. Well, if if ever I was lucky enough to get to do like a third Doctor story with Dan, I'll, I'll have to have a conversation with him about, <laughs> yeah, do you want me to deliberately work with the colorist to make this look like a bad CSO? <laughs> uh-huh. Um, that'd be fun, like deliberately replicating substandard special effects in comic book art. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have to tone everything down. So the, the shot with the army of Dalekstan, so I figure like the, the five in front are going to be real. And then these are going to be like cardboard cutouts. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're all just got that same pose, that same look. Yeah. Oh, that'd be hysterical. That'd be funny. Yeah. So, well, well, Chris, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, Once Upon a Time Lord, it's a, it's a amazing book. It's an amazing story. The artwork is great. Um, it's it's something that I think is should be on any Doctor Who fans bookshelf. It's a story that, like like you said, or like we've said, Dan threw everything in the kitchen sink into the story. You and and Matthew Dow Smith and Mike Collins drew your hearts out on this. Uh, it's a, a an amazing book, well worth the the investment to to get it. And uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me today about uh, your artwork, the the craft of drawing comics, and uh, the story. My pleasure. You will be deleted. Today on Doctor Who Panel to Panel, I am getting reacquainted with a, a longtime Doctor Who comic artist who has a uh, new book coming out here shortly, Matthew Dow Smith. Matt, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Always a, always a delight to talk to you. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, we haven't chatted for quite some time, and uh, you are part of the Doctor Who special that's coming out uh, in October that mm-hmm. was written by Dan Slott and... You are kind of doing the backup story, if I remember right. I am. Well, I'm. I'm doing the main story. Um, there's okay. A, uh, it's it's a forty something page story, if memory serves. Um, but uh, you know, there there are a couple other artists involved. There's uh-huh. some some link arts and um, a little backup story okay. from uh, Mike Collins. So it's it's um, yeah, it's a fun little setup. Um, and a good excuse to get as many of us uh, to draw it as possible, um, and to have Dan finally write a Doctor Who story, which he's you know been dying to do probably for uh, for as long as I've been working in comics. Yeah, probably. Uh, so, how did you get involved in this? Was this just uh, Titan Comics contacting you saying, "Would you be interested?" Or no, I just you know I've I followed Dan um, I followed Dan on Twitter for several years now, and we've we've met a couple times at conventions and, uh, chatted, you know, we're, we're both, um, very public doctor who nerds. Um, uh-huh. and I just, I told my agent, I think like on a Monday and I was, I was wrapping up a project with Mark Miller, um, for Netflix, his okay. Jupiter's legacy comics. And I said to yep. my agent, I'm like, okay, you know, I've got my, I've got, I've got my other projects that I'm doing myself that I'm writing and drawing. And I just, I, I want to really focus on that. And I think that was like a Monday. And then Tuesday I get a, I get a DM from Dan on Twitter saying, Hey, what are you doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I don't know, Dan, what am I doing? Uh-huh, why are um, you asking? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so we just kind of talked, uh, you know, he, he gave me sort of uh, an idea of what he was going to do, that he was going to do this special. And, you know, it's it's Doctor Who. I never say no to Doctor Who. And it's Dan, who I think is, you know, one of the premier comic book writers right now and, you know, one of my favorite people. So it's like, uh-huh. you just, you're okay, I'm going to, I'll put this other stuff kind of to the side and we'll we'll do this. And, you know, luckily Titan was on board. Um to have me come back and and do some Doctor Who stuff. It's the first Doctor Who thing I'd done for them, and okay. um, you know it was a it, it was a, a big project, and hopefully um, 
hopefully something that people are gonna gonna really enjoy. I mean, um, everyone involved, you know, we're just all such huge Doctor Who fans. So, uh-huh. I mean, really, it's 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 just one of those things you just don't say no to. You're an sure. idiot to say no to a project <laughs> like this. <laughs> so, so it's you and Christopher Jones uh, yeah. doing the main story, and then yeah. Mike Collins is doing the backup story. Now, yeah. he's doing Mike Collins is doing like the nice Doctor stuff, if I remember right. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Um, Mike's great, and I've uh, been a huge fan of his for years. So I'm, uh-huh. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. What he did, I have no idea. <laughs> so, so without giving away too much, how how is combining kind of your artwork and Christopher Jones's artwork? Is it two separate stories or kind of an interwoven story with your two art it's styles? It's a story within a story. Um, okay, and obviously, I won't I won't give give away too much, but it's. Um, Martha Jones and um, the Tenth Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is my first time drawing David Tennant as the Doctor in a long time. Um, so and so Chris, uh, who's a, a fantastic artist, if you if you haven't read his, um, I'm sure you've read his Third Doctor yeah. stories. Yeah, they're just just insanely good, um, and also. Old, old friend of mine, love the guy to death. So this is the first time we've gotten to work together on something that I can think of. Okay. Um, so he kind of, he's drawing the, the he drew the framing um, uh, part of the story. And then I drew the main part of the story, which has, which jumps around a bit. You see a lot of um, Doctor Who characters that, um, that I've actually never gotten to draw before, which was which was really exciting. And then uh-huh. um, there's there's some some very big surprises in this one that you get you get the script from Dan and you go, are they really going to let us do this? Okay, <laughs> let's go. Um, and it is Dan. I I can confidently say that there's a page in this special that is the most insane thing I've ever been asked to draw. Oh, really? um, and I don't know how anyone is ever going to be able to top it. So we'll <laughs> see. I just hope people like it. Uh huh. So, so what was it like working with Dan Slott doing one of his stories? I, considering how big of a Doctor Who geek he is, um, I, I'm sure going through even like the first read through of the script, finding out what the story was about, uh, was a treat just to see whatever references he's thrown in or or how he's crafted a Doctor Who story. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as a fan, um, you know, I, I get very excited and very protective because I get to read the story before anybody else does, which is great. Um, yeah. You know, but also as a as someone who writes as well, you know, it's it's like a master class in how you write a comic book story and how you compress information and how you expand information. I mean, Dan, really, there's a reason why Dan's one of the biggest writers out there. And so it's it, it really was kind of fascinating from a technical standpoint which would probably be boring to most people but i just you know <laughs> pouring uh-huh. over the script going oh and it's you know he um as, as someone who's written a few doctor who stories of my own you know these the voices of the doctors um when you're writing them i think people sort of fall into a couple of cliches um you know there are easy ways to kind of make it sound like David Tennant's doctor or Matt Smith's yeah, doctor. Yeah, kind of catchphrases or just yeah, the, the, the way he, the, he speaks. I've I've fallen into a few of the cliches myself, but, I, I you know, Dan just just nailed it. Um, you know, I I saw some of the letter pages and it's just, you know, it's it's 
that's absolutely spot on Doctor Who dialogue. I mean, it, it really it's just stunning to me because I know how hard that is. Uh-huh. It's not as easy as you think. Um, and Dan, you know, whether it's it's, you know, his gifts as a writer or, or the fact that he's just such an insanely huge Doctor Who fan, <laughs> you know, he nails it. I mean, I think it's probably, you know, I, I've been lucky in all the Doctor Who stuff that I've done, you know, I've been, I've been working with, you know, huge, huge fans of the, of the show. And, uh-huh. I mean, you know, I, I think that's one of the fun things about the comics is that it attracts people like Dan and me who, you know, we don't, we're all busy doing our other things and usually swamped in, in other projects. And, you know, you say Dr. Who, and we basically turn into, you know, 14 year old kids. Uh-huh. And, you know, we just start giggling at our desks. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there are worse ways to make a living. Oh, definitely. So, so like you said, it's been quite some time since you've drawn a Doctor Who comic. Yeah. Uh, what was it like going back and doing it again? I, From what I remember, the, the last time you did something for Doctor Who, uh, wasn't it like for the Prisoners of Time? Yeah, it was the, um, it was the Matt Smith Doctor uh, issue of prisoners, prisoner. Okay. And, um, yeah. uh, were, was that about the time I, I'm trying to remember back to when we chatted before, because I still remember your art style kind of switch yeah. kind of changed. And wasn't that you going from like traditional pencil yeah. doing stuff to doing stuff digitally? Yeah, that was, that was one of the first projects I did digitally. It was actually kind of the first time, um, I was able to draw doctor who the way I wanted it to look. I okay. wanted it to look more realistic and less cartoony. I wanted it to look as close to the show as possible. So that of of all those Doctor Who comics I had done at IDW, that's the one that I still really like because that was really kind of like this is what I always wanted it to look like. But I just mm-hmm. I just couldn't do that on paper. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I remember reading the the Prisoners of Time series, and when I saw that issue that you had done, seeing how it, it was still. You could identify that it was your art, but it was a definite shift. And, yeah, and a shift I thought for the better. I thought it, it it was a a a really nice, well rendered, um, more kind of a grittier style. Yeah, and I think that's the thing about approaching it this time was it was a little weird um, coming back. My style has shifted as I've gotten more comfortable working digitally, and I've started doing all these comics on my own that I write and draw and color myself. Uh So my art has, has continued to sort of evolve as I've, as frankly, as there are less people saying that looks terrible. Don't do that. (laughs) I can just do whatever I want. Um, So uh, when I came back to do this one, I, you know, I set out to just draw it the way I would draw any of my own books. And, you know, it may not be necessarily what people expect. It's, you know, maybe a little more, uh-huh. uh, a little, um, a little scratchier. Um, one part Sean Phillips, one part Bill Sienkiewicz, a little bit of Mike Mignola uh-huh. in there. That's, yeah. you know, these uh-huh. are the people, these are the people I, I really look up to artistically. So it's, it, it's a different look again. It's, it's similar to the, the Prisoners of Time. But, you know, to I, I thought that that was going to be, you know, kind of a sticking point. I've had experiences doing other licensed projects where like, this is really, really great, but we don't like it. Can you redraw this entire book? Which yeah. I've done uh, only a couple of times, thankfully. But, um, you know, they, they were all 
they all really seemed to like it and, um, you know, let me do it the way I would do any of my other projects. And I think that's, um, you know, that's a really, that's a really great thing. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. I think we all as creators kind of get in our own heads about, you know, Oh, this is my artistic vision and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, people have to read this and people have to enjoy it. So there is a balance between like the weird stuff in my brain uh, and and the book that the people have to be able to read and enjoy the book and and um, you know they gave me a lot of freedom to kind of do it the way I wanted and I, I really I enjoyed kind of coming back and working with a, a writer I'd never worked with before and such a good one and it does mm-hmm. it pushes you to do different things and you know again I don't want to give anything away but I I got to draw something I got to draw Doctor Who characters that I never thought in a million years I get to draw. So that's good. I'm I'm sure it's always a good thing when you get a script and you get to, there's different parts or or scenes or pages where you go, Oh, I can't wait to draw that. Or, Oh, I've never drawn this before. I mean, especially with Dr. Who, my attitude is like, if you get a script and you're, and you're reading it and there's no point at which you think, Oh man, how am I going to draw this? Then you, then they haven't written a good script. I would say, (laughs) I would say there's probably a point on almost every page where I went, I have no idea how I'm going to draw this. I'm just going to have to figure this out. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, that's what we did. Did, did the script that you got from, from Dan, did he give you a lot of uh, leeway as far as how you, to do the, the visual aspects of things as far as like laying out the pages and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, letting you be creative on, on the visual side is the way he is being creative on the, the storytelling side. Yeah. I mean, every, every writer is different. Every writer gives you, you know, different amounts of detail. Um, some writers do tell you like, um, you know, there are three tiers, mm-hmm. tier one, three panels that sort of force you to lay out a page a certain way. Yeah, but you know, Dan's Dan's script was you know there was a lot of leeway there. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of space where he just is like you know I want these things to be going on. Just you know however you can make that work. Yeah, um, you know that's one of the things about comics is that it's a collaborative uh, collaborative art form, and it's mm-hmm. what makes it you know both incredibly exciting and utterly terrifying pretty much constantly um you know because you're you're i'm trying to bring a writer's idea of what it's going to look like to life but also you know bring it to life the way that that i see it and yeah i mean dan dan was a a fantastic partner uh in that and i'm i'm sure the other artists involved oh and the best part of this is i got to work with charlie kirkhoff again oh that's good my longtime colorist on every all the Doctor Who stuff I did uh, at IDW, and he and I haven't worked together for years. He's a fantastic colorist, and really, yes, he is. Sorry, that was I went from Dan to oh, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie. Uh, uh, Charlie, you know, uh, it was great to to get to work with with Charlie again. It, it literally has probably been about four or five years since we've worked together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Charlie is a, a, a great colorist, and you also. Like we've said, the story features artwork by you and by Christopher Jones, by Mike Mm -hmm. Collins. Did the the three of you artists kind of 
share pages with each other, kind of bounce ideas off each other? Not really. Um, I came in kind of late in the game. Um, so Chris had already drawn his linking sections, which was, which okay. was interesting because you'll see in the comic, I have to work his panels into my pages, oh, um, okay. which was an interesting challenge. But, you know, you, you get these, they send you this packet of pages from, Christopher Jones, and you're like, wait, I got to draw in the same <laughs> book as uh-huh. this? So, um, you know, and then uh, Chris and I kind of went back and forth, uh, talked a little bit um, about sort of, you know, how how to integrate the images. But, yeah, I mean, it literally was just like, here's a bunch of stuff. You're on your own. Go for it. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, so it was just me and Dan, basically. Okay. Uh, creating insane, insane things to draw. Uh-huh. Uh, also, like we said, this is, it's been some time since you've done Doctor Who, uh, have you always had the, since you got done doing the, the Doctor Who stuff for IDW until now, have you had the urge to, to do more Doctor Who in that interim or has now that you've done this, uh, this special, are you like eager to do more Doctor Who? I mean, you know. It's funny. I will do Doctor Who. Like I said, it's it's one of those two things that I'll I'll you know you ask me to do a Doctor Who thing, whether as a writer or as an artist, and I'll do it because I, I just I love Doctor Who. I've I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was six years old. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but also sort of at the same time, you're uh, I got to do it. I think for three and a half, four years, off and on. Um, yeah. You know, where I was doing at least a story arc or two every year, and and there there is a point where you just have to say, I I had my shot at it. I did I did these stories. These are now part of sort of Doctor Who fandom. Time time to step aside and and let other people have their fun with it. But at the same uh-huh. time, you're like, no, it's mine. Go it's away. Mine. <laughs> let me do it. These are my um, toys. These are my toys. Um, you know, so there's, there, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Cause it, Dr. Who is such a part of my life, um, both as a creator and as a fan. And it, it's such a huge influence that, you know, we are, we are very possessive of Dr. Who in a way that, in, in a way that we aren't necessarily about most other comic book properties, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, your Supermans or your, your X-Men or your, your Wolverines, things like that, where, you know, people, people are very, very possessive of those characters. Um, but you know, most people don't feel that way about ambush bug. No one even remembers. (laughs) I'm weird and very possessive about ambush bug because I grew up on ambush bug too, but that's Uh, another story. Yeah. But so it, it is, it, it is kind of like a, it is a complicated thing. You know, I did, I got to do a lot of Dr. Who. I got to write some Dr. Who stuff. I got to write Dr. Who comics, you know, for the BBC that were in the, were in the box set for the uh-huh. uh, 50th anniversary and a few other things. And, yeah, you know, never in the million years would have ever thought that I would get to do that. So I got to do a bunch of Dr. Who stuff. And then there are all the other people who are dying to do it. And you do at a certain point just have to say, okay, okay, it is time for other people. <laughs> it's time for other people to do it. Uh-huh. You know, but when the other people are like Dan Slot, <laughs> um, you know, you just yeah. you, you you gotta go. But yeah, no, uh-huh. there is there is and not only that, but you you, you get to go from being the, the creator to the, the spectator or the 
uh, you know, oh, I can't wait to enjoy this as, as a reader. Yeah, and you know, let's be honest. The, some of the stuff that that Rachel and Jody and there are some absolutely amazing people that Titan has brought in to do these comics and the you know the Paul Cornell, um, Chris Jones comics. I mean, you know, uh-huh. those those are comics that would not would that would not happen if I had you know if I had had the power to just you know do Doctor Who forever. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's some really great stuff. Titan's done a, a, a really great job with the license, and I, I hope they continue to do more. And, um, you know, I hope that there will be more specials like this Dan Slot thing. I mean, yeah. we got an Adam Hughes cover. Mm-hmm. And I have never had an Adam Hughes cover on anything I've been doing <laughs> in comics, and I've been doing comics for 30 years. Yeah. You know, they sent that to me, and I'm just like, wait, this is a joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> This this isn't really happening, uh-huh. um, you know. So it's it. I will always draw Doctor Who if they ask me. I will always write Doctor Who when they ask me. But other people are also doing absolutely incredible work with the character. So sure, um, yeah. It's you know the the time between the your IDW stuff and now with the the special. Um, it's been quite a few years, and I know you've been doing a lot of stuff in, in between. Um, can you give us uh, kind of a rundown of stuff that you have worked on and stuff that you have coming up? Well, I, at IDW, I went from Doctor Who to the X-Files. <laughs> which yeah, which I really enjoyed. Years. I'm a big X-Files oh, fan as well. Oh, thank so. you. Thank you. That, in, a lot of ways, um, in a lot of ways, it was an even better book for me than Doctor Who because I love Doctor Who so much that I, nothing I ever did was good enough. So you're you're really every single page you're just sweating. And the X Files, which I, I really, really like, but I was never I was never as obsessed with it as say Doctor Who. Um yeah. so it, it, it I had a little I was a little more relaxed with it. Um and um so so yeah, so that that was interesting. Also a fan of the show. I'm not putting down the show uh at all. Though we could have a whole other podcast about the revival. But that's another story. <laughs> um but yeah, so that was that was I did that for like four years and got to write some of that uh, as well. And uh-huh. then, um, good God, well, I've done so many things since then. I know you've <laughs> so done a lot of uh, just create your own stuff. Well, the, when the pandemic came, um, when the pandemic came, um, there was that weird period kind of where everything shut down in comics and none of us uh-huh. really knew. Uh, none of us really knew what was going to happen and uh, all the projects that we were on, um, you know, our editors had to make a call of like, do I, do we just sort of pause this now? Do we have them finish it? Um, Luckily the project I was on when the pandemic, when the lockdown happened, there was just finish it. We'll put it out whenever. So I, I finished that, which was uh, another issue of house of whispers for, um, uh, Vertigo, and I think when it was finally released, it came out under the black label for DC. Okay. Um, so I, I, uh, I, but we were all kind of, I was just sort of sitting at my desk going, I don't know what I'm going to do. Is this the mm-hmm. end? <laughs> Is this the yeah. end of <laughs> comics? And so I sort of decided, well, you know what, if I'm going down, if, if I'm never going to be able to really, if I have to go and get a real job, I'm going to start doing I'm going to start doing some of the comics that I always wanted to do, but could never kind of get anyone interested at a company to, to pick up. So uh-huh. I started doing that. I've been doing that. Um, I did that for about a year and a half where I just was putting out weekly free comics. 
on my Twitter and um, Tumblr and a few other places. Mm-hmm. Um, did what three or four books, just as serialized, serialized on Twitter. Um, uh-huh. And then the the last one of those I did was something called Amelia Shadows, Daughter of Darkness, which is um, just a. Uh, I always I always wanted to do. Uh, a magic character, like a, a magic superhero character. So I came up with my sort of own twist on, on that. And that's uh-huh. been going, I'm still doing that. I took a, I took a break specifically actually to do the projects, the, the project with uh, Mark Miller, the Jupiter's legacy project. Yeah. And then did this. <laughs> um, and, and then, then did the doctor who thing. And now I just next, uh, next week, which will probably be several weeks after, uh, after this comes out. Um, I'll start posting um, those the new chapter. I'm now in book three of Amelia's Shadows. Be putting the new chapters up weekly on Twitter. Okay. Um, so I have a Patreon for a very small group of people to support <laughs> support me making comics for free. But yeah, I, I and I went back and I did some I did some stuff. The other thing I did during that break um, between Amelia's Shadows books is I went and did. Um, several issues of black manta for dc which is another one of those things where you're like oh yep yeah it's like you want me to do what uh, okay <laughs> sure well so kind, of, kind of out of the blue for you yeah that was very there's just like a fun like three or four month period where it's like yeah i went from you know jupiter's legacy to black manta to doctor who and then back to black manta because they asked me to come back and do more and um that was a really exciting uh really exciting four months or so um Mm -hmm. and now and since then now i'm doing things i can't even talk about um they're so secret i can't even talk about them you got some some projects in the works yeah i got some big projects that the weird thing is they're more in the graphic novel space so it's like i'm doing a i'm doing a project now that i don't think is coming out until like late next year early the year after that so yeah I, I think there's a lot of artists that are going that route there. It seems like there's a lot more, um, not so much monthly periodicals, but more like graphic novels or books, things that are going to go on a yeah. bookshelf in a bookstore um, yeah. that artists are working on compared to doing just like a regular comic book. Yeah, and I, I can't speak to other artists or other writers, um, but I, I I find the graphic novel form um, – really interesting because you 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 have you have more space to develop an idea you're not you you write a 20 20 or 22 page comic or even like the amelia chapters i do which are only four pages you're writing to the ending so you're always writing to hit the right note at the end of the issue or the end of the chapter and suddenly you're you know writing writing and drawing a 200 page thing and you're like ah how do i keep the audience engaged <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, for we're, for that long a time frame we're 80 pages into this and they got you know 120 more so how do i structure this to keep it it's just it's an interesting change of pace um and you know you know as well as i do how tumultuous the comic book industry is um you know, you have the direct market. The direct market certainly has its struggles, um, and you know, bookstores have their struggles too. So, it's interesting to try to sort of play in a different space and see how things land. Um, but yeah, my my next two or three projects are all are all graphic novels. Um, 
which is kind of, I mean, honestly, it's one of the reasons I kind of have to do something like Amelia Shadows, where it's like, you're not going to see anything else I do for a couple years. So mm-hmm. here's just a little four page thing every week. Please remember that I exist. Yeah. <laughs> so that I, when I, 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 come out, you uh-huh. will buy them. Well, I remember way, way back in the day uh, when DC started putting out those Earth One hardcovers, mm-hmm. um, and the the Superman ones they did that Shane Davis did the artwork for. Yeah. Um, I remember reading it either hearing an interview or reading something, or maybe even talking to him at a convention about it, and he was talking about how being tied down to a book like that for so long, people were going to forget his name and that he was yeah. an artist because he wasn't going to have anything on a regular basis coming out. And there was going to be a year gap between the, the project he had was working on and this, this earth one book. Yeah. And he almost felt like it was a, a, a detriment to him because you're going to forget who that person, that, that artist is. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's generally a concern. I mean, you know, we, as creators, we live and live or die sort of by our fan bases, which is why all of us are on Twitter when we probably should just <laughs> keep our mouths shut and do our work. Uh, you know, and you, the audience is used to that monthly thing. Even people like me, because I, I, I haven't done a lot of monthly books. I think really I've only had two monthly books in my career. Um, and you know, one of them was at CrossGen, and CrossGen shut down like <laughs> after ten issues of my book. Uh-huh. So it's a very short-lived monthly book. Um, you know, and the X Files was the other. Um, yeah. You know, if you're and if you're not doing a monthly book, you know, it's 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 tough to to sort of build up and maintain a fan base. And there's there's part of it. Um, that, you know, you you kind of. On one hand, you kind of can't think about it. You can't worry about that sort of stuff. But uh, but it's a business, and you you know you need your fans. You need fans who are going to follow you from project to project, um, yeah. so that you get to do more projects. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a weird little tightrope. Comics is such <laughs> a weird place to to try to make a living. But um, uh-huh. you know, I I think you, if you do stuff consistently, even someone like me, you know. Going and doing, you know, I do if back in the IDW days doing two, two or three story arcs on Doctor Who a year, you know, you, you do you build up a fan base and then they hopefully follow you on to whatever the next thing it is that you're doing so you can still have a yeah. career. Yep, yep, definitely. Um it's, it's been quite some time since you and I have chatted and both of us are Doctor Who fans. Yes. Um what how? What did you think of the the Doctor Who on TV? Let's let's talk about just regular Doctor Who. What did you well, think of the Jodie Whittaker era? And what do you think about what we have coming up with her regenerating into somebody and uh, David Tennant coming back next year? Well, first off, let me say how annoyed I am that IDW gave up the Doctor Who license right before Capaldi because Capaldi is basically a walking <laughs> Matthew Dow Smith character. Um, yeah. I just, I'm so <laughs> mad I never got to draw him because he really, that's exactly the kind of face, the kind of clothes and stuff that I love to draw. Uh-huh. And I, I love Capaldi's run. Um, I'm always sort of amused that people did it like Clara. Cause I think she's a great character. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I, I think the actor, actress is fantastic. I, you know, the, the, it's complicated talking about the, the, the Jody Chibnall years. Um, I love Jody. 
I think she's great. Okay. I haven't liked the last few series as much. I've struggled with some things about it. I love mm-hmm. the new master though. I really, I thought that was, I thought that was really inspired. Okay. Um, yeah, it's tricky because this is the first period of time where I've been watching Doctor Who just as a fan, not as somebody like trying to keep track of things specifically for work. I mean, you know, yeah. I used to have to watch Doctor Who and make note of things for stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that took a little getting used to. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I've struggled during the Chibnall era. Era, I would, you know, never trash uh, anybody making a TV show because TV shows are incredibly difficult to make, um, especially a TV show like this, where people have such strong ideas of what they want to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've struggled. I've struggled. I'm, I'm very curious to see how much of this stuff they wrap up. My understanding is they're not going to wrap up too much of it. Um, with the timeless child, I think, I think I'd read an interview where he's going to leave a lot of that just hanging for the next showrunner. Who is the original showrunner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think they're, they're better off just kind of leaving that. I, I, I'm almost hoping that when, uh, when Russell Davies takes over, he just kind of, leaves that and continues on with whatever he has planned. And, uh, you know, if, if he needs that as a a plot thread for something in an episode or two, you know, it's there for him to use, but otherwise you can just kind of let it go. I think it's something, it's one of those, again, you know, we're fans, but we also, we watch the show going, well, that's not what I would have done. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Which is, which is a really, really not great way to watch a TV show. If I'm being honest, um, you know, I think the timeless child concept, I think there's a lot of stuff you could do with it. That would be very interesting. It boy, did that come out of left, left field. Um, and I, I think there are some people in the audience who really, really hated it a lot more than I hated it, but it, it did, it did come out of left field. It does create some problems. It's doctor who, you can fix any problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the great things about it. It's like, well, this doesn't actually make sense. Um, You know, I, and I, I think the, the one thing, the one thing that sort of bothers me about is I think Jody, Jody Whitaker, I think has so much potential as a doctor. And um, I feel like we just barely scratched the surface of what she could have done. And I, I'm sure, you know, different people will have different reasons for that um, based on, you know, whatever thing is making us grumpy about Doctor Who this month. <laughs> I'm yeah. not grumpy about Doctor Who. It's Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who. I love that it's on my my screen. Yeah. Um, I have absolutely no idea what, what David Tennant is doing there. Um, we'll find out. Um, I'm excited that we get, you know, one last glimpse of wilf um uh-huh. uh one last one last performance from the late great bernard um yep. so yeah it's it's i literally it's like i have i haven't been paying attention to any spoilers i just know what kind of 
shows up in my my Twitter feed from time to time, and I saw those set photos. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't care. I'm going to watch this. It's going to be great. Yep. Um, I love Tenet. I you know my he was sort of he was the first doctor I really got to draw on a regular basis. Um, I hate the pinstripes because they're such a pain to draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, sometimes um, even, even watching it, you're going to go from a technical, uh, you know, an artistic aspect. Yeah, uh, I, and I, you know, I'm looking at his hair, going, "That's not quite the same hair." So I wonder what's going on. And this is clearly some sort of alternate version of the Doctor. I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what they do. I'm, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see how they they see what they wrap up of sort of the, the 13th doctor arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they got to kill the master though. Right. Isn't that kind of tradition at this point? <laughs> New doctor, you, kill the master. Well, past showrunners. Yes. Yes. With, Who knows? With, with Chibnall is totally up in the air. You, you just, <laughs> you never know. Um, but yeah, I mean, my forecast of Doctor Who is whatever is whatever Russell's going to do, it's going to be crazy. Um, it'll be fun. I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to kind of where it's such a weird position to have an old showrunner come back. Yeah. To, to see because his approach to the the particularly the the ninth Doctor, I mean, you know, it was very sort of kid friendly feeling. Mm-hmm. And slowly got darker and darker. It's like, well, how's he going to approach it now? And I'm I'm very curious to see how he does that. See, I, he, I am too, yeah. especially not only that, but the the amount of time that has gone has passed in between the time he left till mm-hmm. now, and all the stuff that he's done in between. How mm-hmm. how his outlook on Doctor Who may have changed, or his yeah. his way of show running, or the the stories he wants to tell might be totally, you know, 180 degree different from what he gave us in the past. And no matter what he does, people are going to be angry about it. So, <laughs> yeah, there's no way around that. When you're a showrunner for Doctor Who, you're no. you're not going to please 100 percent of the people 100 percent of the time. So you just yeah. kind of have to make your choices, go with it. And uh, like I was I was chatting with some other people, you know, uh, us as fans watching uh, a season of Doctor Who. It might not be your your cup of tea at this point in time, but you know, yeah. a year down the road or two years down the road, it might be right back where you're you're back in your happy place. Yeah, and that's I think that's very true, and that's you know, as everybody always says about the show, that's sort of the longevity of the show. It's a different show, constantly. Yeah, yeah. you know, the th- actually the thing that I I learned with this new iteration of Doctor Who was. Every time the first few new doctors, every time they announce a new doctor, I'm like, oh, that's a terrible choice. That that person's never going to work. And I learned after Matt Smith to just be like, okay, because it's always they're always going to do something I find interesting. They're always going to do a great job. They announce a new doctor. You just go, okay, we'll see what happens with this one. Um, Instead of getting getting on the message boards and being like, oh, my God. I can't believe <laughs> Peter Capaldi's going to be the doctor. Actually, Peter Capaldi was the first one where I went, oh, yeah, that's going to work. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yep. It was like, yep, that's a good choice. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's not going to be a problem at all. I just hope he doesn't swear too much. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that. but that, yeah, that's the nature of Doctor Who. It's always different. Um, you know, it's sometimes it's going to be 
so in your sort of taste zone. And sometimes it's going to be a little off. And I, I guess that's probably the best way for me to describe my reaction to the Chibnall years is like, there's some really good episodes. It looks fantastic. I think it's the best looking Doctor Who has ever been. Um, and um, there have certainly been some episodes that I think stand up there with yeah. some of the best of New Who. Mm-hmm. You know, but then there are also episodes where I'm like, eh, I don't quite get this one. Uh, but it is pretty, and Jody is great, and I think they've done... Uh, a uniquely good job casting um, companions for this, this era. Yeah. I think the companions, you know, we can quibble about sort of some of the writing of the companions, but I, I think the, the, um, the, the casting choices have been really good. So, I mean, you know, who knows it's Dr. Who I'm going to watch it and I'll, you know, uh-huh. maybe even, maybe even wear my fourth doctor scarf and, um, you know, sit with my, uh, sit with my TARDIS keychain. Yep. Uh, watching watching everything between now and the the beginning of the the new series proper um you know new doctor yep. no idea no idea what it's going to be like but we'll find out yep exactly always along for the ride yeah i mean it's doctor who i never hate doctor who yeah exactly there's just eras you like more than others uh-huh. i still am obsessed with the sylvester mccoy era and continuously annoyed andrew cartmel <laughs> so good, Andrew. Uh-huh. Did such a good job. Yeah. Anyways, so <laughs> no, I I totally agree. Cartmel's stuff was good. They were they were just hitting a, a high note when they got yep. canceled. That's the weirdest thing about doing Doctor Who comics is that now I'm friends with Andrew Cartmel, and it's like literally talking about the Cartmel Master Plan with Andrew Cartmel. <laughs> it's like, you know, there wasn't really necessarily like a written down plan. We just kind of had this idea. It's like, Oh yeah, that's fascinating. This should be a DVD thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> should have this on a DVD thing. I can sit here and talk to you. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, once you're in the doctor who family, that's, that's kind of the thing about this is that it just, you know, like I said, we just all love doctor who so much. And, you know, we get together uh, at conventions and, and things like that. And, and literally, we just sit there talking just like any other fans. We're just uh-huh. just nerds for all this stuff, um, which is fun. I love it. Yep, definitely. Well, uh, the the special that you are, have worked on uh, is supposed to come out in October at some <laughs> point. Um, but I'm, I'm, I know plenty of fans, uh, myself included, are looking forward to this coming out. And uh, I can't wait to see what Dan Slat's story has. Uh, and uh, it's a trip. It is. <laughs> it is insane. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's going to be. It's, it's his first Doctor Who story, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to your artwork as well as Chris Jones and Mike Collins and everybody. And uh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me today, Matthew. And uh, it's nice catching up with you again. Always a pleasure, my friend. And there you have it, folks. If you are on the cusp or wavering whether or not to get yourself a copy of Once Upon a Time Lord, I think after listening to those interviews uh, with Christopher Jones and Matthew Dow Smith, to me it's a no-brainer. You know how excited they are about the uh, this book coming out. Dan Slott, this is his love letter to Doctor Who. Um, make sure you go out and, and pre-order your copy. Let your local comic book shop know that you want them to hold you a copy or reserve a copy for you. They are the ones that are going to have the version with the wonderful uh, Adam Hughes cover featuring the 10th Doctor and Martha. Uh, if you don't get have a comic shop by you, make sure you order it from Amazon. Uh, 
trust me, you're, it's well worth it. Um, you will hear my review of this story finally on the next episode of Dr. Who Panel to Panel. But I hope you enjoyed these two interviews uh, with uh, Smith and Jones. And uh, I, I guarantee you, you're going to enjoy Once Upon a Time Lord. I hope as well you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Who Panel to Panel. Please do me a favor. One, do uh, do me a huge favor and let other people know about this podcast if they are fans of Doctor Who or Doctor Who comics so that they know to listen to it. Uh, favor number two, please go to iTunes and leave me a positive review. That is greatly appreciated. And three, please check out Doctor Who on Patreon or Doctor Who Panel to Panel on Patreon. Go to patreon.com. Uh, slash Doctor Who panel to panel and uh, tip me a buck. Um, please uh, contribute to help keep the lights on, help pay the bills, help pay the, the server fee and everything else associated with this podcast. I would truly appreciate it. And until next time, this is Jeremy B. Mint saying bye. Doctor Who panel to panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics. Thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who Comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you.